1: Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: This is a CBC podcast.
0: This is Play Me, your digital theater. We transform the hottest contemporary plays into bingeable audio dramas. I'm Laura Mullen. And I'm Chris Tolley.
1: Welcome to Play Me, your ticket to some of the hottest shows by award winning playwrights. We're back with a brand new season of plays that we're excited to share with you. Today's feature is the Governor General award winning play, Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes, by the one and only Hannah Moscovich. Hey, Laura.
0: Hey, Chris. I don't know about you, but to me, it feels like it's been ages since we've been here on the podcast.
1: I know we've been really busy releasing plays on CBC radio and reading shows, but it's been a while since we've been back here to release a brand new podcast season. And I know every year we say we have this really great lineup of plays to share with our listeners, but this year I think we're really going to knock it out of the park.
0: Yeah, and it's been an exciting year for theatre. After almost three years of lockdowns and cancellations, live theatre is definitely back and proved that even a global pandemic can't keep it down. There have been some really excellent productions hitting the stage. And as you and I know, at the end of each year, theater critics release their top 10 lists of what they consider to be the best productions of the year. It's been so great to see how many of the shows that we picked will be featured on our podcast and made those lists, including Kelly Nastruck's list from The Globe and Mail and Glenn Sumi's So Sumi newsletter.
1: Yes, so to our listeners out there, if you were lucky enough to see one of these plays in person, or if you didn't get a chance to see them, or you want to hear them again, or just let a friend know, this is your place to get an intimate experience hearing these shows in a whole new way. Laura, shall we do it? Do you want to announce our season?
0: Yep, let's do it. Drumroll, please. Here are the five hit shows that we'll be releasing in 2023. Mixtape by Zorana Sadiq. Wildfire by David Paquette, translated by Leanna Brody. Where the Blood Mixes by Kevin Loring. Serving Elizabeth by Marcia Johnson. And we'll launch it all right now with Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes by Hannah Moskovich.
1: Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes premiered at Tarragon Theatre in 2020 and went on to win the Governor General's Award for Drama. Hannah is one of Canada's most prolific writers for theatre and television. And most recently, she is the lead writer and executive producer for the TV adaptation of Anne Rice's Interview with the Vampire.
0: I remember when Hannah won the Governor General Award, and I always love her work. So I immediately got a copy of Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes and read it right away. And I have to tell you, it blew my mind. And you'll understand when you hear it to the end, Hannah has such a visceral way of crafting her characters. She uses such lean and precise dialogue to cut through really meaty subject matter to get at the heart of her story.
1: This is a play that we don't want to say too much about because you have to hear it for yourself. What we can tell you is that the story centers around a writer and star professor who is reeling from his third divorce, and he catches himself admiring one of his students, a girl in a red coat. The girl is a huge fan of his work, and she also lives just down the street from him, and she finds herself on his porch one day.
0: This is part one of three of Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes by Hannah Moscovich, featuring the cast from the Belfry production, Sarah Canning and Vincent Gale.
3: Agitated. He didn't know why. Nothing came to him. <laughs> a few weeks ago, the janitor forgot to unlock the men's washroom before office hours, so he'd had to urinate into his thermos. Then he'd opened his door and met with students and discussed their essays with him with a hot thermos of his own urine sitting on the windowsill. Urine was, he knew, dissolved salts with a little organic yellow coloring in it. You just rinse it out. It's fine. He'd been trying to jot down lecture notes, but he'd been too agitated, so he'd switched to grading papers, and now he couldn't even fucking do that. What the fuck was wrong with him? came to him it was of a girl in a red coat could it be a fragment of (laughs) his publishers were waiting on a novel about turn-of-the-century lumberjacks? so hopefully this girl was part of that or could be shoehorned into it because also come on a girl A young girl, wasn't there something deadly about the young girl as the object of fiction? Wasn't it where writers went to expose their mediocrity? Because wasn't it so often the young girl who was grossly underwritten, a cipher, a sex object, reduced to a cliche by lust-addled men, Ah, uh, nearly two o'clock. Which meant a lecture on the death of postmodernism and the rise of transrealism with its adjacent mainstreaming of genre fiction to some 90 or so second years. So that should really meet them where they're at. <coughs> that was a joke. Lately, he'd had to point out to his students when he made jokes, as in, that was a joke. Maybe his delivery was too dry that or he was getting old he uh, he he liked to lecture without notes and address his students with a casual jokey style as though he were saying to them we're all just trying to make sense of these beautiful texts of staggering genius I just happen to have spent a little more time with them than you have because this was 2014 and anyway it didn't help to intimidate the students and he was on the side of the Greeks Learning is a seduction. The erotics of pedagogy. That was the sort of thing you couldn't say out loud without getting fired. He watched as the throngs of students came into the auditorium and flung their book bags down, milled about, small talking, posturing, texting, scarfing cheek food. Strange. He was still agitated as though we were waiting for something to happen, as though we were waiting for... It was the girl. The girl in the red coat. about it, and it went unacknowledged, because how do you acknowledge it, was that the subtext of college life, which is to say his life, was sex between teenagers. He tried to pretend like all the other faculty that it wasn't happening, that he couldn't see it. Kids came to class with engorged blackened hickeys on their necks and looked up at him, taking notes, blinking, studious for a whole class. The garbage can in the disabled washroom down in the basement was almost always stuffed with condoms. Their tips bulging obscenely. Sometimes a student would ask him a typical question such as, can I have a higher grade? And then they would tune out his answers because some thought, some thought of sex had obviously occurred to them and made them go momentarily deaf, even in the midst of pleading their case, they couldn't focus because they were so befucked by thoughts of fucking. And he'd always stood outside of it all with a wry smile, watching the swirling human drama, watching the young people be young. But now, somehow, somehow, Right, all right. Okay. He might have changeable taste in women, as one of his ex wives would put it, but he was not. He hadn't. He had never been attracted to. Well, no, there'd been a phase. Because he was a veteran of gifted streams and genius programs and he'd been a loser and he'd longed for sure he longed for and also he'd been thrown together with some very very ugly smart girls and the ugly boys too of course and the boys were the worst because they stank on top of being terrible looking but it was the girls that mattered to him at that age and the cliches were all true Either obese or freakishly thin, cross-eyed, blemished, hunched, pear-shaped, horrible dull stringy matted hair that looked like it had been thrown up by a cat, or terrible non-style style, style. classical music camp t-shirts with enthusiastic slogans, I'd rather be a classical music camp, classical music camp is fun. So of course he'd lusted after sluggish-minded cheerleaders with... Glassy, doll-like eyes and bland, two-white smiles. Who read celebrity junk and whose claim claimed academic achievement was good penmanship. And however low an opinion he might have held of them. He still had a hard time not imagining their lipstick lips wrapped around his cock. But the cheerleaders had been his own age. Not younger than him, not his students, no one who looked up to him. Quite the opposite. And second of all, he'd grown out of his attraction to cheerleaders mostly because he'd eventually had enough sex to hit that tipping point where he wanted something more than simply more sex. He wanted women who had a sexual imagination, who were his peers in college, who gave papers at conferences, whose sole objective when reading a book wasn't to pass an exam. You know, women, not little fucking girls. And it's not as though if that was his thing, he wouldn't have had any opportunities. I mean, come on. He was surrounded by throngs of... (laughs) opportunities. And I mean, sure, it was flattering when adoring young women came up to him, batting their lashes, and told him just how much they loved his books. But in the end, flattery was largely genderless, because no matter who came up to him and told him he was their favorite author... He still loved that shit. She'd taken off her red coat, sat herself down in the front row, and looked up at him for two hours, lips parted, chewing on something. Straw, a pencil? Whatever it was, it was annoyingly sexual and right in his goddamn eyeline.
2: Hi. Hi. I'm in one of your classes.
3: Hi. Yes.
2: I was going home. I live right there.
3: Oh. You live... You live, uh, right there. So I go by a lot. Right. That's, uh, that's what you're doing. You're going home. I- I'm sorry. I thought you were trying to get my attention.
2: Uh, since... I'm a big fan. All term, I've been having a hard time not coming up to you and telling you who you are. As in, you're John Macklam.
3: Who's that? Sounds important. (sighs) That's funny. (laughs) Well, thanks for taking my class.
2: Yeah, yes. I look forward to your class so much. We all. uh, And I love your work. I read it in high school, and high school was bad. And it was good to know that there was a person in the world who thought how I thought... It meant a lot to me. I love. I admire. I asked my mom what's the difference between admiration and love. She said, I don't admire your father. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah.
3: Wow, thank you. I'm Annie.
2: You're in second year? First.
3: And how do you like it so far?
2: First year is supposed to be anonymous or... Isolated, is it? Yeah. I suppose I do still want to find the smart students who are my...
3: Contemporaries.
2: You know what? I want the living version of the feeling I get when I read your work. Mowing the lawn? Yeah. Okay, I'll see you in class.
3: Well, yeah, yes. The stupid thing about it was that after talking to Annie, it all made more sense. She'd probably been 10 paces behind him or 10 in front all semester, following him to class, following him home in her red coat. So, of course, that's why she'd floated into his brain. Part of the minutia that your subconscious picks up from your environment. But then why? Why was he still thinking about her? He'd gone inside and Googled her, found out her full name from the class list, and then turned up a photograph of her from high school on the field hockey team. And from the admissions website, he garnered that she was pulling superlatively good grades, including an A in his own class. And then he'd become so panicked by his interest in her that to calm down, he'd taken the cigarettes out of the freezer, the ones that he smoked socially from time to time, and stood out in the cold spring they were having, on his fire escape, beside the limp bags of garbage in the wet newspapers. He smoked the whole pack he saw life stretching out ahead of him in which he got lonelier and weirder. Then he'd gone back inside and tripped on a loose floorboard, which was inexplicably the last straw. And he'd picked up the phone to call his wife, from whom he was currently separated, and she'd answered the phone with a laugh in her voice, as though he were pulling her away from a hilarious dinner party. His wife... His third wife, this was. Yes, yes. Yes, it was. His third wife had left him six months ago, and then he'd gone through something of a bad patch. It all started with her telling him that the tenants living in their investment property, a small condo downtown, had given their notice. And what good timing. Because she was going to go live in it for a while by herself and think about things And by the things she wanted to think about, she meant the flaws in his character. She'd been very measured and adult during the conversation. So measured and adult, in fact, that it first he failed to understand what was happening. And once he had understood she was leaving him, he was shocked to shit, both by what she was saying but also by the emotional economy with which she was saying it as though she wanted to avoid having a big end of the marriage fight as though she'd withdrawn his right to fight with her in the same way that she was withdrawing his right to reach out and touch her tits he'd sat across from her looking down at his hands nodding throttled thinking to himself is your problem because he didn't beat her or, or cheat on her? Which was ridiculous vestigial sexism on his part. This was 2014, and obviously she should have higher standards than not being beaten and not being cheated on. Obviously she wanted more from him more attention, more affection. And now that she was forcing him to review the last few years of their marriage, he could see it. There were signs of disappointment on her part, of a slow constriction of her demands on him, a lessening of her hopes he relentlessly drafted and redrafted his last novel and left her to her own devices for months and months on end, all of which was confounding because he'd tried so hard not to fuck up this marriage. Because among other reasons, such as loving her, he fucked up his last two marriages, and yet here they were. He civilly discussed with his wife what furniture from the house she should take with her and where in the basement the second set of dishes and the extra blender were stored... And then he duct-taped boxes for her and rented her the moving van and then waved bye to her as she left him in it. And then he'd gone back inside in a black, suffocating rage and he drank too much and he stopped clipping his toenails and that had gone on solid for a couple of months. He still typed. Joyless typing. And Todd signed autographs. And then finally, finally, the depression had started to lift. And the last few weeks had been less fraught, less. And then last night, he'd mowed the lawn, met Annie, freaked out over a floorboard. And after diligently avoiding all contact with his wife for months and months and months He'd broken down and called her, and she'd answered with a laugh in her voice, and it had sure sounded like she was having a ball without him. And they'd had a terse conversation that turned into an infuriated one, and then they finally had the big fucking fight that he'd been angling for all along, ending with his wife yelling into the phone, "We never got past the front hallway of our relationship," and him yelling back, "Well, fucking come on into the kitchen, and for fuck's sakes, the kitchen's fucking great. It's magic in the kitchen." Which teetered on the edge of hilariousness for a moment. But then they both started to cry. And he'd asked her if she was alone, and she was, and if he could come over and talk to her in person. And he'd driven to their downtown condo, and his wife had let him in. And, and he'd said he was so, so sorry about it all. And she said that she was so, so sorry, too. And that led to the bedroom, and to sex, and, and to more crying. and to his wife telling him that she'd thought about it and she didn't want to have to lobby him for the attention and love she needed. It was too shitty, it was too lonely. And she was very sorry, but the marriage was for her over. Today, sitting in his college office, he got it into his head that he should review his untitled lumberjack novel. A terrible idea, just keep going, just keep going. So he printed off 100 pages of it. The mid-morning light was glaringly bright. Faculty coffee was terrible. Smeared into his cup like someone took a shit in a coffee filter and then percolated it. The manuscript was typed in Times New Roman font. But somehow it still looked to him like it had been handwritten in a creepy, schizophrenic scrawl, like a ransom note from a pervert. All the signs pointed to, don't read it. But, and here's where it took a turn. Because sure, it wasn't gonna revolutionize fiction. But it was good. It was good. It was well observed, it was good. Oh, now he was late to meet the handyman he called about the loose floorboard. And it looked like he'd managed to beat him to his home. There was no truck in the driveway. But there was someone standing on the curb. It was
1: Annie. We'll be right back. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: It's Annie. Yes. I'm one of your... Yes,
3: yeah. We stood here and talked, I think, uh, yesterday.
2: Yeah. Are you... Are you okay? Yeah. Yeah. I'm locked out. I'm waiting for my landlord. I I tried to climb in the window, but uh, You're, uh that's why I'm standing on the curb.
3: Your elbow doesn't look good.
2: I scraped it, yeah.
3: You need a band aid.
2: I yeah. I'm locked out, so I can't get one.
3: Right. You should uh you should come in. That's okay. No, sorry if I didn't sound welcoming. I'm just focused on myself. Come in, please. I have a first aid kit. How's that for a... Yeah, well, yeah. And he thought for a second about calling 911 or walking her to the college clinic and handing her off. But he had to give her a Band-Aid, didn't he? Wasn't it weirder if he didn't give her a Band-Aid?
2: My door locks behind me automatically. Your landlord? No. Just some...
3: Guy. (laughs) When I was growing up, there was one phone in the house. And it was attached to the kitchen wall by a (laughs) cord. Not that I had many girlfriends to call. Growing up.
2: Huh. No? I pictured lots of girlfriends. One of those quiet guys who listens and listens to you until one day you're blowing him and you don't even know how that happened. Sorry. That's sorry.
3: Uh, That's okay.
2: I shouldn't. I I don't know why I said that. Sorry. No, it's okay. I didn't mean to be so. It's okay. uh, I've read your work, so I think I know you and I don't. I don't know you at all. No,
3: you know what? If you've read my work, then you probably do know me and I'm...
2: Crude?
3: I'm kinda crude. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I like that, uh, about your... Yeah? I, I don't know what I'm doing.
3: Well, what are you, what are you trying to do? Where's your landlord?
2: Oh, he's close.
3: Thanks for... uh... I hope your arm feels better and I'll see you in class. He was out jogging to work off some... (sighs) And as he jogged, he scanned the students flitting about the green over by a tree, heads down, cramming, pale and pimpled. A couple of track-of-field girls were stretching their limbs. Fit. Sculptural. But not somehow. There was a pretty tall redhead, lightly freckled, and she was standing in the middle of a group of friends, flipping her hair and saying something about how late she'd stayed up to write an essay. There was a lot of obnoxious overemphasis on words. I was up until 6 a.m. I am shaking. I am so tired. I hope my T.A. just skims it because OMG, it makes no sense, etc., etc. And with that, any attractiveness dissipated. That type of histrionics coupled with a student smell. The smell of a digestive system processing cheap food plus hormones plus desperate stress was the norm. He'd never gotten into the college girl fantasy, probably because the reality was such a bummer. (laughs) And then, suddenly, suddenly, just like that, it was a beautiful morning. The sun was shining. The birds were whatevering, circling high in the air. He decided, on a whim, to work on the front porch. He brought his coffee out, then his coffee pot which he'd swapped afternoon for a bottle of whiskey. And he typed as he looked up at all the sweet-smelling trees planted by his wife, but still. And he stayed out there writing when the sun was high and burning the top of his head, and his laptop started to feel warm and in danger of melting. And he stayed even longer, until the heat waned, he got sick of his lumberjacks, and he looked up his wife's Twitter feed and... Great. Great. She was at some publisher's conference with informal breakout sessions back to hotel rooms. No doubt some fellow publisher would be moving his glass of cheap fucking Zinfandel another inch closer to hers along the coffee table.
1: Oh.
0: Annie. How's your arm? Better. Working? Yeah.
2: On a book? Mm Mm-hmm. About...
3: Lumberjacks. At the turn of the century. The reviews will say how wooden my characters are. (laughs) That's funny, but no, they won't. They'll make puns about my sex scenes. There's so much wood in John Macklem's erotic lumberjack tale. Well,
2: that's okay. That'll help with sales. Do you write? No. Or not well. Right. And mostly essays, seeing as how I'm an undergraduate and all. Right. I'm 19. I don't know if I've had enough experience to...
3: Experience of what?
2: Well, I grew up on the internet,
3: so... Then you're poised to speak to your era.
2: Maybe. I, uh... I have some small, uh... Small, uh... Thoughts about, uh... Annie... Sorry, I'm stuck on an interview I watched with you. You said that you think about what's not being said when you talk to people. No, not all the time. So I'm distracted by what you think I'm not I'm, saying. No,
3: I'm... no. I'm... yeah, I'm... I'm considering why you're on my porch. For help with... writing?
2: No, I, I hope you don't think I'm angling. No, it's not that. I wouldn't hand you my crappy writing... I thought maybe you'd like me to come and say hi.
3: Hi?
2: You've been sitting out here for most of the day, and you keep looking at my window, so I thought you might want me to come and say hi.
3: I don't think that I, or at least I'm not aware that I. Oh.
2: Well, sorry if. No, if, no.
3: All I meant was you've been standing on my porch for a long time for it to be. Hi.
2: Okay, are you saying I should go or we're going inside?
3: We're going inside. Well, this he recognized was not good. He had to sober up and stop this. He had to stop it and send her home. He had to recommend some book to her, some fucking book about how to write books. Get her the fuck out of his house.
1: That was part one of Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes by Hannah Moscovich. Parts two and three are available now here on the podcast.
0: The play featured Sarah Canning and Vincent Gale. This recording was directed by Michael Shimada and featured some original music by Tobin Stokes. Sound design and editing are by Chris Tolley.
1: Sexual Misconduct of the Middle Classes received its world premiere at the Tarragon Theatre in Toronto in 2020. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And just a reminder you can always catch us on CBC Radio 1 on Sunday nights at 9 and Wednesday nights at 11. <phone rings> We'd love to know what you think about Play Me. You can connect with us by emailing playme at cbc.ca. And if you haven't already, please subscribe to Play Me through Google or Apple Podcasts. By subscribing, you can listen to all our past shows and you won't miss a single one of our new episodes. And while you're there, we would love it if you would consider rating and reviewing us. It helps spread the word about our podcast, bringing theatre to a whole new audience. Play Me is produced by Laura Mullen and Chris Tolley in partnership with CBC Podcasts. A special thanks to our CBC team. Anna Ashate is our digital producer and our executive producer is Cecil Fernandez.
0: The director of CBC Podcasts is Arif Narani, and the executive director is Leslie Merklinger.
1: Play Me is funded by the Canada Council for the Arts and the Ontario Arts Council. Play Me is an Expect Theatre production. For more information about our plays, please visit playmepodcast.com.
3: For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.